the night Wanting a place to hide this weary
Come on, let's choose. We will worship you, God. No life circumstance dictates this decision. The only decision has been made. We will praise you. In the highlands, in the heartache, in the mountains and the valleys. Come on, I choose, I choose. I choose to praise, to glorify, to glorify the name of your name. And nothing can stand against, oh, I choose to praise, to glorify, to glorify the name of all. Oh, there's no higher name, no, no, nothing can stand. Come on, I choose, I choose to praise. today as we battle getting here and even through the storms that are happening in our lives, God, we choose to praise you and we remember that through all things, you hold it all. Everything belongs to you, the earth and everything in it. So God, as we worship, as we remember who you are, Jesus, sovereign God, Holy Spirit, the Father, we bless you, God. We're so grateful to behold your glory, to behold the beauty of who you are. So we sing and worship and glorify your name together. Let's sing from your voice. And from your voice, what was void became the universe. And just a spark. Let the star to warm and move the earth. Just one breath, empty flesh awoke a child of God. All creation calls, behold who holds it all. The earth is
the cross Darkness thought it won its victory
very real, in a real sense, we, we join when we enter into this throne room, right here, right now, participating in the surrounded stream of glory. Let's just take a second. Sing that last chorus, the throne is the Lord's. The throne is the Lord's, surrounded in streams of glory. The angels roar to shout his endless praise. The heavenly tremble and say he's worthy singing holy is the Lord our God holy is the Lord our body lake, light of the world by darkness slain. Sing that again there. There in the ground is body lake, light of the world by darkness. Come on, let's sing it again. There in the ground. There in the ground is body lake, light of the world by darkness. and the power of Jesus, not because of anything we've done, not because it's this perfectly peaceful world. We discovered again this week that it's not a peaceful world, but we do because Jesus Christ is the rock that has never moved, is not moving, and will never move. Can someone say yes? 
Amen. Way to show up in the weather. Impressive. The holy ones, the anointed, the favored, and the ones with four-wheel drive. Uh, we have a fun little treat. Um, Christian music, the industry has this kind of awards program called the Dove Awards. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. And one of our own has recently won a Dove Award, Terrell Demetrius Wilson. Come on. He wrote, he wrote a great song with gospel artist Jonathan McReynolds, and he won a Dove Award, but we're not going to let the Dove Awards be the only ones who are delivering a Dove, so it worked out a little something. We brought a Dove. Somebody say, aw. It's not real, but it's going to live right here. We love you, Terrell. Good job, buddy. And I bet you Jennifer is really the one who wrote that song. Let's just or be most honest. Likely, most yeah. likely. Yeah. Uh, friends, I am, I'm still reflecting, just amazed at what happened here in this room two weeks ago with the baptisms, if you guys were here. It was unbelievable. We, we just baptized. So in the 9 o'clock service two weeks ago, we baptized about 100 folks going to the waters of baptism, going in the death of Christ, rising to life in Christ, rising into the family of God. And then the second service, this service, we, we baptized about 100 people. And then Pastor Brady gets up here to preach, and he's just nudged by the Holy Spirit to say, is there somebody else? Would someone else want to get baptized? And one person came. We all watched. And then another person came. We all watched. And then another person came. We all watched. And then another person came. We all watched. And another person, and another person. And it just kept going. We were just kind of all here on stage just stuck. And I, all of you were standing out there. Just We were just stuck under the weight and presence of Jesus, right, as people were just getting rescued from an old life and going into a new life. And I mean, I said to Terrell, I was like, are you, are you trembling? Because I am trembling in my bones. And Brady and I looked at each other. We just said, this is some New Testament stuff going on here, right here in 2023, right here in Colorado Springs. And I love legends. And there's this legend of the old knights of old, the Knights Templar. And when they would go and to battle, right before they would go to battle, they would get baptized in all their armor and their sword and everything. They'd bring it all into the waters of baptism. But here's the problem. They would let themselves get totally immersed, except they would raise their hands out of the water and leave their sword out of the water as if to say, God, you could have all of me, but you can't have this part. You know, you can't have the part that's about to do some things that actually wouldn't really please you. And what I saw two weeks ago was a bunch of people completely getting immersed in baptism, not holding something out, but completely giving their lives to Jesus. There was one guy with really nice brown leather boots, probably expensive. He got it. We, he was about to go in and we said, do you want to at least take your boots off? And he said, oh, no, no, no. All of it needs to get clean. Every single piece. Isn't that awesome? So anyway, what, what are we doing where we don't immerse ourselves completely? What are we holding up above the water? that we say to God, you could have all of me, but not this. Can we just have a moment where the Holy Spirit kind of speaks to us, maybe even convicts us? Because God is after our heart. This is the good shepherd that leads us, but he's after all of us, not some of us. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a behavior. You're not quite ready to give up. God, I'll give you everything, but not this. Jesus said, give it all to me. Maybe it's your wallets. <laughs> Here we are now, we're about to go into a time of giving, giving of our tithes and our offerings, giving of ourselves through our money. And God is just saying, I want all of you, not some of you. 
I want all of you. So you know the drill, you know the four ways to give and let's just pray over this and then we'll continue to worship as we give. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You are leading us and we follow you. And you'll stop at nothing we see, God, till you have our hearts, till you have all of us. So once again, we come and we say, like the old hymn says, I surrender all to you. All, A-L-L, all, everything, not some, not a percentage, but we give you everything, Jesus. Would you take our lives, would you take our broken offerings and use it, Lord, to be the hands and feet of Christ in a broken world? This place needs you, Jesus. So use it, Lord. Use it to your glory. We love you, God. We celebrate you, God. You are our everything. We are the people of your pasture, and you are our God. Bless it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said together, amen? Amen. Come on, let's worship as we give. Oh, and day and night, night and testimony of what the Lord has done I'm going to so you're welcome all right last year Holly this mom sitting right over here came into the prayer room with her mom who's right here on the front row Holly and her mom and they came in and Holly was great with child and she was scared she was coming into the presence of the Lord because that was the safest place she could be and she had just been at the doctor's office and they did some brain scans of her baby in utero, and they said, ma'am, we don't think your son has a corpus callosum. A major part of your brain is missing. And they said, we need to get you in for another round of scans. And she said, uh, I'm really scared right now. Do you mind if I pray? 
And they said, ma'am, you do whatever you need. She started praying in the doctor's office. In Jesus' name, Lord, we need you. Lord, have mercy. Lord, would you save my baby? And she came up to the prayer room in the World Prayer Center for noon prayer, and she was just, Lord, where else can I go? And her mom was there. And someone said, does anyone need prayer for healing? And she's, she came right down to the front. She goes, the doctors just said, and here's what we need. And so I said to everyone, we're going to pray. And she came down front and literally everyone in the world prayer center gathered around her and laid hands, like 70 people laying hands on Holly. And as they were leaving, I said, get out your calendar. It's Wednesday. And I said, every day at noon for the next week, I want you to put pray for Holly and baby in your phone. Calendar comes up. So everyone did that. And every day we prayed and every day we prayed and every day we prayed. And we've got Asher right here. I want you to meet Asher. Holly, can you bring him here? Yeah, can I see him? This is my first time to hold Asher. <laughs> Look at this little man of God. Hey, what's up, baby? This boy's healthy. He's vibrant. He's going for it. And he has a prophetic call on his life. I promise you this will not be the last time he's on a stage in front of the people of God. Give it up today for Asher. <laughs> okay, you just got to tell these stories when you're together, right? Look what the Lord has done. Can we celebrate God's goodness? I'm glad you came to church today. This is Gideon's army. We're ready to fight. We're ready. We're scrappy. Uh, would you take just a second, cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, be kind to the people around you. And in just a minute, I'll come open the Bible. One, two, three, be nice. Good morning, New Life North. I'm Christina. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Briggs. If you're new here and you're wondering what ministries New Life Church offers, you can scan the QR code or click the link below. And if you're joining us from Facebook or YouTube, let us know where you're tuning in from because we would love to say hi. It's time to lean in, grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready for a powerful message. Come on in and grab your seats. I, uh, Pastor Brady reached out. He woke up with a, a stomach bug and is not feeling great. And so uh, he, he said he tried to call a few of you to see if you would preach, but you didn't answer your phone. So thanks for nothing. Uh, but he called me. And anyway, we're here this morning. And Brady said he'll be back. So Brady, rest up, man. Get well. We're praying for you. We love you. And we'll see you next Sunday. All three of us are praying for you. Amen. Good. Very good. Love you, man. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to tell the very first story uh, that we hear of Elijah the prophet. And Pastor Brady covered some of this text a few weeks ago, and I'm going to cover another section of it. And um, so what I'll do is I'll read you this story. It, the first thing I'm going to read you is 16 verses, okay? So picture yourself at the old public library, and you're a little kid sitting in the circle, and that that librarian with that buttery voice is just going to read you a great narrative and everyone's going to look at the picture book. Anyone remember that scene? Okay. I'm going to read you 16 verses of a good Old Testament story. And I want you to use your imagination. I want to invite you to get lost 
in the scriptures today and ask the Lord to speak to us. So I'll read this, I'll pray, and we'll jump in here, the word of the Lord. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite. From Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, the king of Israel. So it's a prophet confronting the king. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. He's pronouncing a national drought for three years. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, get out of there, they're gonna try to kill you. Leave and turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so the, the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath. Now this is in Gentile territory. You're leaving Israel. You're leaving the Holy Land. Go where all those pagans are who worship false gods. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow. I want you to flag that in your mind. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was gathering sticks and he called to her and asked, Hey, um, I know I'm new here, but would you bring me some water in a jar that I may have a drink? It's in a drought. He's a foreigner. She's a widow. As she was going to get it, he called, uh, she said, sure. Oh, by the way, while you're at it, please bring me a piece of bread. It's a drought. He's a foreigner. She's a widow. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks right here to take home and make a meal for myself and my boy that we may eat it and die. Like this is the last supper. We're, we're hang, it's been a great run. This is all we have. We're gonna eat it and then we're just gonna go the way of all the earth. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. And I say to you today, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And I pray that all of us would receive this today by faith. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Isn't God's word good? Let's pray. Speak to us, Lord. It's Sunday morning. We all worked to get here, which means we want to be here. This morning especially was not easy to get here. And so we're, we're here saying we want to hear you speak. 
We have no other options. We have no other wisdom apart from you. We have no other resources apart from you. We have no other God besides you. You are our God and we are your people and we're in your presence. And we believe that your word still moves and lives and has its being. We believe that your word is like a double-edged sword, piercing and dividing from soul and spirit, that your word is alive and active. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today by the power of your spirit and send us out of here a better people, we pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said. If you've been tracking with the story so far in 1 Kings, it's been kind of one-sided. It's been kings, 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 kings. And some of you go, well, yeah, that's the title of the book. Yes, We start with old man David, the great uniter of the monarchy of Israel. And he's basically on his deathbed when the book picks up. And David and Bathsheba's there tending to him as he's getting ready to die. And his son Solomon is set up to be the one who takes the throne. But Solomon's got another brother, Adonijah. And Adonijah is there to throw a coup d'etat. He's trying to usurp the throne. He's trying to manipulate and create all these political back-channeling moments where he steals the throne from his brother Solomon. And Bathsheba rises up and Adonijah is struck down and Solomon takes the throne. Solomon starts off well, but he ends worse than Pharaoh. 700 wives, 300 concubines. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. From there, we see Adonijah uh, driven out. And then we've got uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam that rise up and they fight back and forth. And we've got Ahab and Jezebel. It's kings, 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 kings. But 1 Kings 17, 1, we've got a prophet. Elijah shows up. And sometimes you just need a prophet. Sometimes you need someone who's got the word of the Lord burning in their soul. Sometimes you need someone who's not on the royal payroll, (laughs) who just doesn't care what the palace says. He's been tucked away in the wilderness. He's been hiding in the caves. He's been praying and fasting. He's dedicated his life to the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord comes to him and he rises up to speak to a nation that had walked away from Yahweh. And he says, there's a drought that's coming on the land. Elijah, the Tishbite, verse one, from Tishbe and Gilead said to King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, something tells me he had not yet read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Going into the palace to look the king in the eye as this poor kind of vagabondy prophet walking around the region, there's not going to be rain. Heaven is closing up for three years and But he tells the truth because these people were living a drought in their souls. Just because it was raining doesn't mean there was blessing on the land because there was brokenness. There was drought inside their spirits. They had built up their idols. They had walked away. They had brought in some detestable idols into the very temple of God. There was the people were a mess. And so the prophet shows up with the word of the Lord and he says, the the heavens are going to close up because God is going to get his people back. God will look you in the eyes. And right now your pockets are deep enough to where you think you can do without him. And you've wandered. God is going to get your attention. He says, God wants his people back. And so the prophet has to run after that and 
He goes out and you see God's incredible provision. He's away from the royal reserves. He's away from all the man-made life support systems. He's outside of the administered life of the city. He has nothing to fall back on. He's vulnerable. He's having to live by faith and trust. And yet God at the, at the ravine gives him water and sends in the ravens in the morning and the ravens in the night. Solomon or Elijah the prophet has everything he needs even in a drought. But then God directs him to move on. And in verse seven, we read sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath. Now we just read this and that's great, but he's asking him to leave the Holy land, to go to where the pagans are. He go to Zarephath. I'm, God actually is going to show him provision in a foreign land. God is going to take him away from the promised land and show him that even in difficult territory, I will be your provider. Even in difficult territory, I will be your God. So he goes to Zarephath and then the word of the Lord came to him, go and I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, I got to tell you that when I read this story at first pass, something in it feels disrespectful to me. Like, come on, God, why are you going to, why are you going to punk this widow? She is a woman all by herself without a, without a man and a patriarchal society. If you do any research on the ancient Near East, what it would have meant to be a widower or a widow means you're like, you're like doubly alone. You don't have strength. You don't have dignity. You can't, your word in court doesn't even matter. They wouldn't, if a woman had witnessed a murder in the ancient Near East, she was the only one there. She couldn't sit on the, on the witness stand and give testimony because a woman's word was not even held up in court. Do you see how complex it would have been to be her in that world and to be a widow in that world? And God sends the most powerful man of God to the weakest woman in a foreign land and says, she's going to be your provider. At first pass, that seems kind of undignified to me. Like God, leave her alone. Can't we get sort of a, a cohort of the great CEOs of the region to kind of pool in out of their resources? All right, we'll take care of that guy. That's fine. It's, it's no skin off our back. And let, let's get the powerful people together to take care of this man of God. But no, God calls the weakest woman in a foreign land to take care of the most powerful man of God. And why is he doing that? He's not doing that to disrespect her. He's doing that to give her her dignity back. Do you see this? He's giving her her dignity back in a society that had forgotten her and walked past her and said, you're done and you don't have anyone who will fight for you. You're no good to us anymore. God was raising her up as the hero in the story saying, hey, whatever you have, I'm going to make it more than enough, not just for you, but I'm going to cause you to rise up to take care of my prophet. God is intent on giving all of us our dignity back. There are many of us in this room today, some of you, I, 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 one of my favorite guys at the Friday night congregation, he, he's worked at King Supers for 45 years, stocking shelves, crazy hours, super physical work. He's on aisle seven cleaning up messes and then he swings over here and takes care of people. And, he's, and, he, and for years he said he felt like he was just this uh, tucked away guy that nobody knew about. But somewhere around 10 years ago, he started to realize, he said, I'm not just anything. I'm made in the image of God. I'm not just stocking shelves. God has given me gifts. And so he goes on to aisle seven and he's not just looking to clean up messes. He's looking for people who need encouragement. 
And he steps on aisle seven and he finds someone who's alone. Hey, can I help you? Is there anything you need? He's found himself praying for people on the job. Why? Because he's not just stocking shelves. He's made in the image of God and he's anointed. God is always wanting to give all of us our dignity back. And he uses this widow in a foreign land who had been told by her society, you have nothing to contribute. Why don't you just go away and die with your son? And God says, no, I need you to take care of my prophet because everyone has something to contribute in the kingdom of God. There is no caste system in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen today, church? He raises up this widow and he makes her powerful. I'll say this by calling the most vulnerable woman in the land to provide for the most powerful man of God, God is making a statement once and for all. We all have a significant contribution to make in the kingdom of God. And I wanna stir up your imagination today by asking you, what's in your hand? What has God given you? You may feel like you've just got the jar of oil and a little bit of flour and a little bit of bread and I'm just kind of waiting until Jesus comes and takes us home. Like, no, God has something for you to contribute right now in the kingdom of God. In this text, we see yet another instance of the established pattern of generosity into which God has called his people. So we see that everyone has dignity. We see that everyone has something to give. But I also want all of us to see that in this text, we see God has established a pattern of generosity into which he's called all of us to live. So he went to Zarephath, Elijah. And when he came to that town, a widow was there. And he asks her for the bread and the drink, and you get it. And she says, I don't have any bread I've only got this flour and this oil. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first. Everyone say, but first. He says, I understand you're on the brink. Go home, do what you said, but first. Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then, everyone say, and then. But first. And then make something for yourself and son. Watch what happens here. There's this established pattern of generosity. The prophet directs the widow to first give, to first sacrifice, to first live by faith. This thing that he was asking her to do did not make any sense in any spreadsheet. It, didn't, it confounded all human wisdom. It did not line up with great reasoning. It, 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 logically, this is a stupid move. I have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I've got a little water. I've got a sun. I've got some sticks. We are getting ready to die. And the prophet says, but first, before you take care of yourself, but first sacrifice, but first trust God, but first live by faith. And I want to suggest to you that the tithe in the Old Testament is rooted in this statement, but first and then. The tithe in the Old Testament is known as a first fruits offering. These are agrarian people. They're out working the soil. They're out slaving away. 95% of people in that day would have been subsistence farmers in a very arid place that, that's uncongenial to growing crops. But somehow, some way, they were learning how to eke out an existence. And God says to them, hey, when I bless your land with rain and when your crops come up, 
take the first tithe, take the 10% off the top and bring it to the house of God that there may be food in my house to take care of the hungry in the region, to take care of the poor, to, to establish a hub of generosity. But first, give me your tithe and then see if it won't go farther. Do you know that the people of God have always lived by this kind of confounding faith that doesn't make sense in spreadsheets? It goes all the way back to the people of God in Egypt. They're out there working and God says to them, I want you to start worshiping me. I want you to set aside a part of your time. And then they walk out of Egypt and he takes them to Mount Sinai and he gives them his 10 commandments. And what is the command that, that, that confounds all of us? He says, I want you to honor the Sabbath. One seventh of your life, one seventh of your time, one seventh of your calendar, give it over to me. And here's what he's saying. See if six days working with me goes farther than seven with you working on your own. That was better than what you guys just, how you responded. You go, oh, okay, okay, very good, Sabbath, okay, okay, okay. No, that was some good stuff. See if six days trusting God will not go farther than seven with you trusting your own strength. He calls them, thank you, mom, I appreciate that. The Ballinger's back there happy about the word of the Lord. Hey. Trust me, cooperate with me, covenant with me. Give me the first fruits of your time and see if I won't make your calendar work. And then he calls them as they get settled into the promised land to work their ground and to bring one tenth. He asks for one seventh of our time. And in the Old Testament, he asks for one tenth of their money. God wants us to cooperate with him and to work by faith. And he says, if you'll trust me first, see if I won't take care of you. Friends, there is an established pattern of generosity that God has called us to live in. So I want to say just three quick things about the tithe. Some of you hear that and you start seizing up. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Let's talk about it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be painless. I'll say it and we'll move on. Okay, three things. God is not worshiped in the abstraction of our thoughts, but in the specificity of our sacrifice. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? God is not worshiped in the abstraction of our thoughts, but in the specificity of our sacrifice. Now imagine if I went home this afternoon and said, Lisa, my wife right here, Lisa, I just love you in my thoughts. She said, could you help me empty um, the dishwasher, Daniel? Lisa, I just love you in my thoughts. I just, I just, I, when I imagine being your husband, it's just such a great, just a great space to live in, you know, and mental ascent to just the thought of, hey, Daniel, can you help me put the fitted sheet on the bed? I mean, you want to know there's a devil. Try putting a fitted sheet on the bed by yourself, all right? Tell me if there's not a devil. You know, people pulling their back out and straining their hamstrings, trying to reach over. And I'm sitting there watching my wife trying to put a fitted sheet on. Lisa, she's like, could you give me a little help? Lisa, I just love you in the abstraction of my thoughts. She's like, well, I'll just love you in the abstraction of my thoughts too. Yeah. Some of y'all, anyway. Um, Lisa, uh, I'm going to sit down here on the couch while you go up and tuck our three kids in because I just love the idea. I'm really locked in on the idea of what it would be like to help you put our kids to bed. And do you see that it doesn't work to just live in the abstraction of our thoughts? James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, faith without works is dead. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, absolutely, and with all of your strength. Friends, God has called us to make our faith concrete. God has called us to partner with him in the actual world, with our actual lives, with our activity, with what we put our hand to. Faith with God, when, when we're called to live this but first and then kind of covenant with God, we're coming first with faith, just like this widow did. She didn't say, let me just kind of meditate on sacrificing with the Lord. She said, oh, bread is needed and water is needed. Okay, and she gives first and then God blesses her. Faith without works is dead. And as we come and commit to tithing in our local congregation, what we're doing is we're saying we're bringing our collective strength in the body of Christ and we're trusting God together. And we believe somehow that 90% trusting God goes farther than 100% consumed on myself. It doesn't add up in spreadsheets, but I promise you, talk to anyone who's followed the Lord for 30 and 40 years and they've lived this but first and then life and ask them if they hate it. I promise you. If we trust God and live this way by faith, it will work out for us. Second thing, if tithing is new to you, just find a way to get started. Just get started. You, stats say that the average American gives away 2% of their resources to anyone outside of the, their own story in a given year, 2%. So maybe pick three, maybe pick five. Some of our politicians, I read a report recently of some of the wealthiest politicians in America, and they give 0% of their dollars outside. God have mercy on us. Grow up. Become a human being that cares about other people. God has always made his people to be outward focused. And so if tithing is a new concept to you, no shame. We will never pistol whip you with the scriptures to try to manipulate and to get... Just pick a number and start walking down the road of generosity. Start building muscle memory in a life that is concerned about other stories outside of your own. So if that's you and you're new to this, no shame, welcome. All of us have to start somewhere. So I'm saying to you, just start somewhere and partner with the Lord and say, Lord, take me on the journey toward a life of generosity. Third thing, third thing that I want you to see is the further you go in the life of faith, the more you'll look back to discover tithing to be training wheels that are meant to get you started on the road to generosity. You read the Old Testament and he calls them to a tithe. You read the New Testament and Jesus, at the point at which he stretched out his arms and was hung on the tree, Jesus shows us what self-sacrificial love looks like. And then Acts, the book of Acts happens and the spirit is poured out. In Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, you see people selling some of their land and homes and bringing the, everything that they made and putting it at the feet of the disciples, the apostles to give to the poor as they had need. Friends, Tithing is just building muscle memory in a life of generosity. And the Lord will continue to take you on a journey for the rest of your life that looks like self-sacrificial love. Those are the three things I want to say about generosity. But now I want to ask, what happened? What happened with this life of generosity? The woman said, but first, and then I'll say yes to a life of but first, and then. So what does the and then look like? Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman. It's a three-year drought. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family, for the jar of flour was not used up 
and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the, the word that the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Friends, I'm telling you, if you will trust God, but first, and then you will look up and he somehow, some way will provide. And this is why I love talking with saints who have lived 70 and 80 years following the Lord, because they can look back on a life over decades and they can say, I, I thought my story was going to break down there. And, and I just kept trusting the Lord. And somehow, some way there was, there was oil in the jar and there was flour in the jar and the food didn't run out. Friends, I promise you, if you will covenant with God, he will make what you trust to him go farther than if you just kept it all to yourself. The end of this book, the end of this chapter has a beautiful story that I want to read to you. Because the widow's life was rescued out of complexity, but she kept on living and years went by and her life devolved back into complexity, like all of our lives do. Verse 17, it says, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. And he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me? Can you hear a mother here? Can you hear a human being that feels? What do you have against me, Elijah, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin? Did you come to kill my son? She, he said, give me your son. And Elijah replied, he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid the boy on the bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. And I'll just say right here, you get desperate when you, when, when you just come to the brink. Has anyone ever been desperate in prayer? Has anyone ever just not known what to do? Elijah stretches himself out on the boy three times and cried, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house and he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now I, I read this and there's both excitement and there's also dread. Can I just be honest with you here? Because all of us have prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and someone was sick and Lord, would you save him? And we, you go to the hospital just unexpectedly and you wail and anyone ever been in a hospital room where you just, this was not supposed to happen, right? And we cry out and we cry out and there's been times where I've prayed, Lord, heal them and then we show up two weeks later and we do the funeral. Has anyone experienced a little bit of life? And this story is beautiful because what it does is it shows us where the story with God is going. It shows us the trajectory that God is going to take us on. He, 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 the little boy dies and Elijah raises him up and gives him back to his mother. And what I want to say to you today, the thing that we're supposed to catch from this story is that we serve the God who is going to give us our loved ones back. We serve the God who is going to give us our loved ones back. This summer I flew out to Idaho with all of my family, we had 51 of us there. Grandma Wheezy had just passed. Lived 91 years, and she was married to my grandpa Dan for 66 years. And this summer was about cleaning out the house. 
all of their stuff over 91 years and stuff from their parents. So really it was like 150 years worth of stuff and no exaggeration. We're going through heirlooms. We're reading letters from World War I written back and forth between friends and uh, it's all there and we're going through the stuff and some of you have cleaned out a house and you know how exhausting that can be. You know how emotional that can be. You know how beautiful that can be at times. But I was going through a bunch of stuff and I came across a t-shirt that immediately made me a little boy again. It was my grandpa Dan's t-shirt. He was a sod farmer and his sod farm is called Tough Turf Sod. (laughs) And I wanna show you a few pictures. This is me at I think five years old flying with grandpa Dan and the rest of the family. We were going out to the Philadelphia uh, area and so we were not buckled up. I'm sure the plane was just a total mess but we made it somehow. and so we, f- we flew out there together. And then I'll show you the next picture of Grandpa Dan working his sod farm. I mean, that's just a beautiful man right there. Hard worker. Uh, he had three jobs. He, he was a postmaster, rural mail carrier for 40 plus years, drove an 81 mile route six days a week to deliver like our mail, put it in the mailbox. He knew everyone by name and knew everyone by address. Like he literally knew everyone's address by heart because that's what happens after 40 years of muscle memory. He was also um, a sod farmer and he would come home and every day at noon, Grandma Wheezy would have him a ham and cheese sandwich and Lay's potato chips and a glass of milk chilled in a cup out of their freezer. Anyone ever frozen a glass to get it real? Like that was Grandma Wheezy. Grandpa Dan was made of ham and cheese, I promise you. Every day of his life, that's what he ate and Wheezy was happy to have it ready for him. And then he drove the school bus for 44 years. He had three retired. I don't know how people work like this, but he did. I'll show you the next picture a documentation, you know, they kept great account of like literally every penny, what he paid for labor, what he paid for feed, what he paid for seed, what he paid for machine work to to repair his gear. Like this is a man who knew where his life was and where his money was going. He was, he was locked in the fourth picture. This is grandpa driving the tractor. My dad is on the back in that ugly striped shirt, but he looked good. And I'm shirtless on the other side. And what he would do is he would cut the sod. We would catch it, stack it on pallets, and then crossways, stack it, and then once it was full, we would drop it, get the forklift, and put it on the flatbed truck and deliver it to Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Montana. This is what we did. And then here's me as a little boy. This is how you fall asleep at Grandpa's house because you work hard on the ranch. So it's me and some cousins just getting some good sleep. So I came across Grandpa's tough turf sod shirt with his name Dan on it, and I said, look, I don't need anything but I need that shirt. And my uncles and my Aunt Christy and my cousins, they go, yeah, yep, you you have that, it's yours. And I brought it home and I paid an ungodly amount to have it framed in a shadow box and it's hanging in my study at home. And every day I see that shirt and I look up and I think about my grandpa. And I think about the memories that we've shared. And as great as it is to have that shirt though, I want my grandpa back. Can we all just be honest that we want our people back? And this story about the widow, she has her son, God provides, and there's, oh my goodness, and there's a miracle, there's a miracle, there's a miracle, and then life happens again. 
And then the prophet lays on the boy and Lord, raise him up, raise him up. Raise, and he's raised up. Friends, what I want you to see is that little story at the end of that little chapter is meant to point us to the future that God has secured for us. We serve the God who is going to give us our loved ones back. And if that's not good news, I can't help you. I don't know what's good news if that's not good news. And Jesus, I want to take you right to the cross because Jesus is crucified on a Friday night and everyone's heartbroken and they wonder where their story's going to go. I want you to see what happens. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. Matthew 27, 51, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus's resurrection and they went into the holy city and scared everybody. <laughs> they appeared to many people. Friends, at the cross, Jesus was crucified. On the third day he rose and boom, stuff starts happening. And those people who lived again, died again, right? They had a second funeral, as tragic as that was. But that moment right there with the little boy with the widow and that moment at the cross of Jesus when the, the dead people were raised, I want to suggest to you is a story of where creation is going. There is a day coming. There is a day coming when there will be no more tears, where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more suffering, where there will be no more mourning, where there will be no more hospitals. God bless all of you who are serving in our hospitals. Your job is going to be relieved of you one day because there will be no more death. There will be no more sickness. God's going to put all of us to work in different ways. But friends, there is a day coming when he will wipe away every tear. And this is the God who gives us our loved ones back. Friends, I'm here to tell you that this story today in, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings is pointing us toward God's glorious future when we won't have to go to any more funerals. He is not just the God that has control over the pantry. He's also the God that has control over the cemetery. 1 Kings 17 shows us both. He, he's got the pantry taken care of. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. There's not going to be any lack. Somehow, some way, he's going to get us through. But he's not just the God of the pantry. He's also the God of the cemetery. And he will keep the pantry full along the way. But one day, he will empty out the cemeteries. Friends, if that's not good news, I don't know how I can help you. Today, some of you are carrying deep grief. Some of you just have the memories I'm here to tell you, it will not just be the memories. One day, Jesus is going to make it all right. He's going to make all things new. He's going to not just, we're not just going to have the memories, we're going to have our people back, friends, until that day when Jesus comes and makes all things new. The Lord is going to strengthen us and keep us and comfort us and carry us, and he's gonna keep the pantry full until that day, but I'm telling you, a day is coming when there will be no more tears. Would you stand with me, church? I wanna call our band to come. and We're about to receive communion, but before we do, I want us to have a little prayer time here. I want to pray over these two categories. 
the pantry, and the cemetery. It's what our text gives us today, so it's what I want to pray over. First, for the pantry. I was in prayer when I got the call to preach, and I sensed that there were business owners that were going to be here today. And the market has just been brutal for the last couple years for you. And you wonder, you feel like you just have a jar of oil and you just got a little bit of flour and you got a little bit of water and you're gathering sticks and you don't know how this story is going to end. And today in Jesus' name, I want to rebuke fear. What's the first thing Elijah said to the widow? He says, don't be afraid. He wasn't saying don't be afraid because it was going to be easy for her to comprehend and just, oh yeah, great. No, he's saying like by faith, don't be afraid. You're looking at what's in front of you and those circumstances are real, but do not be afraid. And so today, church, could we just all open our hands like this to receive the blessing of God, the peace of God, create a little prayer time here. First, I want to speak to fear and command it to go in Jesus' name. Jesus, you said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And you said whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I bind fear right now. I bind torment over the future right now. I bind anxiety right now. I bind hopelessness right now. And Jesus, you said whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so I loose faith. <laughs> I loose joy. I loose hope right now. Let hope race through this room. Let hope take root in our hearts. I loose the joy of the Lord that will be your strength. I lose fresh courage. Many of you have had seasons of courage and it's just been taken from you. And right now in Jesus' name, let courage be released afresh. Strength to keep going. Faith to put one foot in front of the other. To get back out there on Monday morning. I lose that kind of courage just today. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. So Lord, we trust you to be the God who keeps the pantry full. We trust you to be the God who provides for all of our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But we also pray about the fear of the cemetery over what has happened and over what might happen. And God, we trust you. Where else can we go? We trust you, Lord, to be the God of life, the God who gives us our loved ones back, the God who makes all things new, the God who is going to wipe away every tear. We trust you, God. We don't have anywhere else to go. Nobody else has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. It's your son, Jesus, who has secured the future. And so, Jesus, we call on you. Come on back. <laughs> Come and make all things new, Jesus. For those who have suffered the heartbreak and the devastation, I pray comfort and courage today. Pray that they would somehow know that God is with them. That they would feel your courage to sign back up for life. 
And Lord, for those who are tormented about the future, we rebuke fear. And we say, because you are the God of life, you're going to take care of us. Lord, today, do that work deep in our hearts, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I want to invite our communion servers to come down. If you're new with us, what we do is we come through the room each week and we get the communion elements and we go back to our seats as we worship. Some of you may not be able to come through physically. Just tap your neighbor and say, bring me an extra and they'll be happy to. But as we do, we're going to worship the Lord. And I want you to call on the name of Jesus. I want you to respond to him by faith today. And in just a few minutes, I'll come back and we'll receive communion together. Let's worship.
life again. Yep. We're going to receive communion, but we need to get back into that verse and sing it till we believe it, that he's triumphed over the grave. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. We just read about this lady's last supper. I'm going to make it. My son and I were going to die. This was Jesus's last supper. And he did go die after this, but he didn't stay dead. He rose up and he rebuked the devil and cast him out. And friends, today, as we receive communion, I want you to receive the bread of life from the bread of life himself. Jesus is for us. Jesus has come to save us. Jesus has come to provide everything we need. And so today you may receive the bread and receive the Lord of life. On the same night, he took the cup of wine. He said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood, and it's given for the remission of your sins. Friends, today you are forgiven. If you call on the name of Jesus, if you need Jesus, if you ache for Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you are clean, you have been washed, you have been renewed. Let's drink up to our forgiveness today. Let's sing, crown him the Lord of life. Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave and rose victorious in the strife. For those he came to save, in his glories now we sing hallelujah.
you open your hands to receive the blessing? But before I pray it, I just say, worthy, 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 worthy. Glory and honor and praise. Majesty and dominion and power be to our God. You're the only one that defeated death, Jesus. You're the only one that took our sin. You're the only one that has the power to drive the devil out. Once and for all, one day, death will finally be defeated. We give you glory for it. We'll praise your name forever because of Christ the Lord. Now, God, for my friends, I pray that you would bless them. Open up the windows of heaven. And I rebuke any drought that has been over your life today in Jesus' name. And I let, uh, let the rain come. Let the water flow. Let the ravens bring in the food. Let there be plenty. Let the jar of oil and the, and the flour not run out for the people of God. Lord, take care of your people, we pray. I pray bless you. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you peace today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, can we give God thanks for what he's done here today? A few things before you race out. One, we've got first Wednesday here this week at 630 in this room, an hour of worship and prayer. You won't want to miss it. So join us this week. Our prayer team is coming down now. Any of you have prayer needs, come see us. And if you're new, meet, it, meet us at Connect Central in the lobby. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.